everyone, and welcome to the Total Athlete Podcast brought to you by Athletes in Action. For more information on how you can learn about developing the total athlete in Canada, visit athletesinaction.ca, and in the United States, visit athletesinaction.org. I'm your host, Herbie Kuhn. And today, we are so pleased to welcome to the podcast a truly inspiring individual. She is a trailblazer and an overcomer, not only in softball and in baseball, but in life as well. Tina Plue Whitlock was a two-time All-American at South Carolina. She played for Team USA and has played professionally as well. A shout out to the Durham Dragons. She's coached at numerous levels, including in Major League Baseball with the St. Louis Cardinals. More important than all of that, though, she is a mom to two teenage boys, Aaron and Brian. She loves her boys, and she loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Tina, welcome to the Total Athlete Podcast. Thank you, Herbie, for the enthusiastic welcome. I am so delighted to be here today and for this opportunity just to share. We are delighted, equally delighted to have you here, and you're welcome to have an opportunity to share That's what we want to do is we want to feature the stories and testimonies of individuals so that we can encourage everybody listening to this podcast. I'm going to start off with a couple of of knuckleballs here for the baseball player (laughs) in you, okay? A couple of curveballs. You ready for this one? Here we go. Where are you from, Tina, originally, and what's your favorite food? Uh, I'm originally from San Diego, California, but I'm a native rat, so I've lived I've lived all over the place. I've lived in Texas, Utah, Washington State, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, New York, Georgia. So, you know, I've lived all over. So honestly, my favorite food is seafood. Second would be would be Mexican food. Um, But I honestly love everything. You know, the Lord created an abundance out there. So I try not. I'm not a picky eater. So I really enjoy the buffet he has given us throughout the world to, you know, graze upon. (laughs) Isn't that something? And any particular seafood that stands out at the top of the list? I've got to ask because I'm a seafood guy. Oh, I, I like all the shellfish and stuff. And. Um, my boys and I, we're, we're, we're fishermen. We like our salmon and our halibut as well. And a good, Beautiful. and a good brook and a good brook trout. All right. All right. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. I love it. It's great <laughs> to get to know what really brings that satisfaction and soul food contentment to people's lives. Seafood. That is fantastic. So alluding to that I was about to ask the question about your roots growing up, but it seems to me like your roots growing up took plant, took place all over the place as a quote, as you put it, as a Navy brat. So born in San Diego, you've lived in Texas and numerous other places. What did that do? How did that help shape your character and your family scenario, your family dynamic growing up, Tina? How did that all come to play? Well, it, it definitely prepared me for where I am now in life, but just adaptability, learning to be adaptable, resourceful, um, and and definitely learn to persevere, you know, through all the different obstacles. I went through seven elementary schools as a kid. And so to me, every oh, wow. I learned that change was not a bad thing. I learned that the differences in people and cultures were, were good things, were positive things. Um, I learned that... Um, 
just that every new start was a new opportunity to make a first impression. And I, you know, it wasn't always something I enjoyed, but I learned to really like it. So I, every three to four years, I have that itch for something new or a, or a move. That certainly has prepared you for a life as a coach, hasn't it? Absolutely. No, no doubt about it. So in that multifaceted upbringing, that multi-location upbringing, was church or faith a part of that upbringing for you, regardless of where you and your family lived? Yes, actually it was. Um, I think like a lot of families, you know, we struggled at times when we'd relocate and find a church that, you know, fit where we were, what, you know, what non-denominational that we were, we were just kind of plain Christians. And at that time, that wasn't the time of, you know, your mega churches or anything like that. Um, so um, there were times that we would have church at home. And we also went through that time where we didn't go for a while, but I, I'm really pleased with my parents that anytime they found themselves on that road to where, you know, we weren't in a good place as a family, um, they'd always find a way to circle back and get us, you know, back on track. And my parents, you know, just, I think even when they weren't together, they were always a great example of Christ, you know, their faith in Christ, as far as being a married couple. My dad sometimes was gone six months to a year at a time. So to be able to see the oneness in them, even when they were apart, was a good thing growing up as a child. Wow. What a what a impactful legacy that is to know of their commitment, despite the shifting sands of where you're living, time together, time apart. That really is a great testimony to your parents, your parents' faithfulness to Christ. Speaking of Christ, at what point? Did you personally, you talked about your parents' faith. At what point did you personally accept Christ's offer of grace and enter into a relationship with him, Tina? I was 16 or 17 years. I think I was 17 years old. And at this time, I actually had started going back to church. My parents at that time were, were not active in the church. And um, I had, was getting ready to go off to college. And I had an aunt and she had said, hey, you know, would you like to start attending church with me? And so I was attending and it was the church we'd always gone to. And she spoke to me about baptism. And I, and I was always a believer. Um, I just was not a committed follower. And I, you know, that's that maturation piece that, that many mm. of us are seeking. Right. And so for me, it was just publicly making my commitment known. So I followed yeah. it up with baptism and then I left for college like the next year. And I was, I was, I realized that that was now, it was me making the adult decisions in my life now. And the first adult decision came with, you know, my commitment to, to Christ. A fine line between believing in something and following something. Yes. And it sounds like it sounds like you made a pretty clear delineation there uh, at the age of 17 or so. Well, thank God for your aunt for leading you in that direction. Amen. Yes. You're listening to the Total Athlete Podcast brought to you by Athletes in Action. And my guest today is Tina Plue Whitlock. Tina, being a total athlete looks not only at physical fitness, but being emotionally, mentally, socially, and spiritually fit as well. And in 2002, your total fitness was put to the ultimate test when your husband, Brian, passed away quite unexpectedly. And to fill in our listeners, nine days later, you gave birth to your second son. The road to recovery has obviously been a long one, and if I dare say, it's probably not even a complete road at this point. 
But part of it is part of it is reflected in this quote from you. Quote, I really sought some solitude over the last five years, the solitude and getting to a point to where I took the time to renew and build my trust with God. End quote. May I say on behalf of everybody here listening, wow, that, that's real life. Would, would you please shed some light into that solitude and that renewal process in the light of losing your life partner, your husband, so unexpectedly to an undisclosed heart ailment? You know, um, my husband passed back in 2002. So, you know, we're looking at like almost this year almost will be 19 years. years ago. And so I was 27 at the time. So mm. I was very young, a young mother, a young yeah, yeah. My faith at that time had never been tested. You know, mm-hmm. it had been interesting because I had spoken to my husband two years before that about we'd went to a funeral and I remember staring off into the, the sunlight in the, out the car window. And he'd asked me, he's like, what's going on? I said, I just feel like, you know, my faith is going to be tested. And we'd had that de- in-depth conversation of like, just what, you know, God, God, how he blesses you, but yet he's not going to take away a blessing, you know, kind of thing. And we had just had this very real raw conversation two years prior. And, you know, the Lord was, I think at that time telling me that, you know, I had this, this baptism by, by, by water, right. I had this baptism by spirit, but this whole baptism by fire, the whole testing and refinement of my faith you know, was yet to unfold. And unfortunately it truly came through the loss and the grief of my husband. And, um, I think in many ways, you know, going through that process and having two infant children, I had two and a half year old and I had a, um, a, you know, a newborn, I didn't have time to get still. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of grief. And in that grief was a lot of turmoil and a lot of unknowns. And I never had that time to get still. And it wasn't until my children had grown and it hit me that, that, you know, I honestly, it was, it wasn't even just an obedience thing. It was just the fact that the Lord had had said to me, he's like, you've got to get still. And it just, I just kept thinking of Jesus when he went to the garden, you know, it was a time of refinement of my faith, but I had to get still and, and seek that solitude. And in that time, he showed me how I was going to have a relationship with him through prayer and through mm-hmm. petitioning, and then also asking others to pray for me as well, but also encouragement of others. And, and so he took me through this whole growth time or this time of growth. And it, it was really beautiful, but it was very difficult at the same time because when you grow and when you mature, you know, it's not always in the direction that you want it to be right. It's, it's actually sometimes a process that's out of your control. And the only thing in that, those, those moments of growth was my, the fact that I stayed committed to the time that I was putting into growing with Jesus. And I had to be willing to say, your will is my will. Mm. Your will is my will. And that, that there would be probably the the next step of obedience, you know, was not only was I committing my time to him, then I was committing my, you know, being obedient to whatever it is he was going to, in purpose, he was going to unfold in my life, whatever, you know, direction he wanted to unfold in my life. And um, it's a good place, but it's not always an easy place, but it's good. (laughs) You know, what really strikes me from what you said there is the importance of that solitude, the importance of slowing down, if you will, especially in our 
breakneck pace world that we live in to stop down and to st slow down and spend the time with him. And that in turn leads to renewal and renewal leads to healing, leads to healing. One of the things you mentioned there, Tina, was not being afraid to ask others to pray for you. That really struck me. Intercessory prayer is and was, is a, a huge part of what kept you going during those dark times. Would you, would you please share with me and everybody listening why praying for others is so important? Well, I personally, what I've learned about it is just that when people are broken, you know, I think about Job, you know, like, and how his friends, you know, when they wanted to give him advice, it was so off and so false, you know, what they were trying, the advice they were trying to give. And if they just would only have said, oh, let us pray for you and, you know, lift you up to God, you know, they wouldn't have had to go through the, what, the seven days or whatever it was of, you know, trying to figure it out, you know, when God basically said, you know, it's, it's me and I do all things, Job, yeah. you know, yeah. and he kind of, he kind of scolded his friends as well. Right. And so I think that, you know, I think when I look back and I reflect, it was the people who said, I'm praying for you. And those that specifically shared their prayers with me. Then when I think back, it was better than any advice I was ever given because any much of the advice was going to be just like Job's friends. It was going to be mm. skewed or inaccurate or wrong, you know, or, and I, I look back and the, those genuine prayers. So anytime you can open, offer up genuine prayers to somebody that's broken, you are saying, I'm lifting you up to God because he is the maker of all things. And he is the restorer of all things and he is the healer of all things and him and Jesus Christ are going to make everything whole again. And so to me, that's the best thing you can offer somebody. And it wasn't until I had matured and had that time of stillness and reflection that I could actually recognize that because I think for a lot of time, a lot, we often seek, you know, we seek it like, advice right <laughs> we don't always seek prayers so i i'm sensing a recurring theme of stillness and reflection stillness and reflection being such a key component not only to going continuing through that dark tunnel that you went through but also in life in general stillness and reflection when we are called in so well, many different directions yeah i think you know if you were to look at what a widow is, that was one of the things that I, when I kind of started to like seek, seek the Lord for help through things. I, I first was like, okay, Lord, you just changed my whole role here. Cause everybody kept single saying single mom and widow and all that. I really wanted to look and see, well, what is a widow? Right. And it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. I'm like, oh, well, first off, I'm not even old enough. So I don't make that list. Right. <laughs> and this and that and is like one of the things that stood out to me was busybody, right. That there, a lot of times it's easy for the widow, the young widow, especially to become a busybody. And I found myself at times doing that. And I was always finding things to try to distract myself or, you know, even for my children to make sure this was done and that was done and this, you know, and I had that conviction about five years ago that that's, a, I had a lot of just busyness in my life and I needed to just stop and not be so busy. Fully understood and greatly <laughs> 
appreciated, greatly appreciated. In a recent interview, Tina, you shared that one of the benefits of being a multi-sport athlete was the potential spillover of experience for life, being beyond only the physical part of it. So for example, benefiting from camaraderie, being able to demonstrate leadership or being in a position to actually be led. How have those traits been manifest in your life as a coach or otherwise? Well, I, I, you know, I think that I used the word adaptable earlier, you know, being a multi-sport athlete, you adapt to the different, you know, environments that you're in. And so for me personally, you know, I've been able to just continue to adapt in whatever situation that I'm in. And again, it's not always easy, you know, I don't always welcome it with open arms, but I think that's allowed me, you know, that adaptability, I think plays out in my life, the resourcefulness to, you know, just um, learn, learn, I think the whole, uh, I would say knowledge, understanding and wisdom piece of things um, that was, you know, that's been another thing that I've sought is sought knowledge understanding wisdom. And I, I think from being a multi-sport athlete, when you have knowledge and you have understanding of different concepts, they will, they, you'll be wise enough to be able to use them in other arenas. And so I see that play out in my life as well. And there's been plenty of times too, where even when I have not been so wise. (laughs) (laughs) I think we could all write a small book about that. No doubt about it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Well, that's that's fascinating for for all the parents listening out there who have children who are, you know, they there's a discussion usually about which sport to play. Should you focus on one sport? Should you play multiple sports? And those insights about being a multi-sport athlete are hopefully will help some parent out there and some kids out there make a decision in that regard. Let's talk about your educational experience because education is a huge piece. For, for you, for myself as well. You earned a degree in psychology from South Carolina in 1997. And then you had to persevere. You were masters in teaching in 2005. Psychology and teaching. Love it. Tell us, tell us how these have prepared you for a life in sport. Oh, wow. I mean... First off, you know, the psychology piece, there's a part of me that wishes I would have went on to pursue my master's in, in psychology. However, um, that didn't happen. <laughs> I don't see myself going back with it. But psychology, just dealing with uh, the mind and how people may think, the different theories and concepts out there, and then learning how those things were tested. I, I can't tell you the number of psychology labs and experiments I had to go do through college. And um so per, me personally, um, learning how people think, how mm. they behave, um, it just gave me a broader understanding. But if I bring that back to my faith, which is where I root everything in, a lot of times there's always an underlying factor in how someone acts, behaves, thinks, and so forth. And unfortunately, there's a lot of pain that's in, involved with a lot of people. Um, I had a young lady I worked with today. And we use a little bit of psychology today because all she she was not really into the drill, but she kept balancing her bat, right? She kept balancing her bat. And so she loved the challenge of balancing her back. So we we incorporated the bat balancing act into the drill and we got a much better outcome. So the psychology piece just actually taught me just how to observe. You know, that's the biggest thing is observe, you know, 
And that comes with listening. And that's biblical, <laughs> right? Um, the teaching piece then in, you know, I was meant, I was planning to go into the classroom and obviously that didn't happen. And I'm thankful for that because I know God had other plans to bring me back to the ball field. And that's where he's, he's given me the mission field there. And so the teaching piece just allowed for me now to take with my, all my observations and things that I'm learning regarding the psychology piece and now put it into an, an environment where it can make sense. I can um, help others comprehend and understand and give some order to it. And then maybe even learn how to measure that as well, you know, and, and create an environment where true learning and adapt adaptable learning is going on Com competitive adaptability, being able to teach that then to my athletes. The way you've just described those and unpacked those two elements of your education, psychology and teaching, sound almost like a blueprint, Tina, for coaches moving forward, if I may be honest with you. I think any, any aspiring coach out there would do well, maybe not necessarily go and get a degree, but to at least explore those avenues to be able to better understand not only how individuals think, but also, as you said, from a faith perspective, sometimes there's hurt in behind. And to know what is yeah. driving a person, what's affecting a person is huge for every coach to be able yeah. to reach their, to their athlete. What I have found in recent years, there was this common thing, theme for the parents that would call me and want to bring their athletes. Hey, I want to bring my daughter in or my son. in, and there was always this underlying issue of confidence or, or I heard mm. you're great at the mental game. I hear you're this, you know, that and it always, and at first I was like, well, well, I can teach hitting too, or I can teach this. And but the mental <laughs> game seemed to always come back, you know? And what I've realized is I've developed this, this way of coaching. It's called operating in love. And it talks about the absolutes of love. And, um, we were talking about um, in Corinthians about just what love is. And a lot of people will stop with, oh, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't do that. Doesn't boast all that. Right. And we kind of, we, we get the surface level part of it, but what I've dug down deep with my athletes with is like the absolutes of love, right? Love always perseveres. So that means yes. where whatever is in front of you during your season, we're going to persevere through that love protects. Okay. I've heard so many young athletes talk about how they don't love the game anymore because of this, because of that, da, da, da. And I was like, well, we're, if you love it, we're going to learn to protect the things that we love because that's what mm. love does. Love protects. And Amen. then the last thing was just reminding them is that the failure, oh, they don't like failure, their fear of failure, all this. Well, the great thing about operating in love is it doesn't fail. Love doesn't <clears throat> fail. And so I've really just tried to incorporate all that into my training and teaching, you know, and to what I do. And I find that it, it works. <laughs> it works. I mean, that's the wonderful thing because love's not going to fail. So that, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty amazing. And I'm like, oh, it's so simple. You just operate in love. Right. And uh, when we, when you can change the perspective of, an, of an, a young person like that, mm, I think yeah. you just empower them to do much greater things than an or much, you just given them a way to mature in their faith. Right. And they're not bogged down by silly things like striking out three or four times in a game, which, you know, is not as a bummer, but there's a club for that too, right? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Operating in love. And that transcends to being a batting coach as well, a hitting coach as well, <clears throat> which obviously yes, you wanted to be known yes, for on some of those occasions when people came to you for the mental game. <laughs> a yes. key characteristic 
a key characteristic of the Christian life is discernment. Obviously, knowing right from wrong is crucial, but also crucial the ability to differentiate good from better or sometimes better from best when weighing options and opportunities. Knowing, is this really from God? One big trait that struck me about you, Tina, was that when the Cardinals offered you a coaching position, you didn't jump on it and say, yep, I'm in, sign me up right away. <clears throat> Though that would have been the easy thing to do. <clears throat> Instead, you took your boys on a retreat, surrounded by God's creation, and you sought the Father's will. What a great example for your sons and for all of us. So can you please unpack for us, why is the pursuit of knowing his absolute will so important to you? I've taken several wrong turns in my life. Hmm. And I've realized that those are, they, they're, they, the same outcome, they're dead ends, right? And, you know, a lot of times those were, I was following my own directions. And what I realized was if I wanted a more whole and more peaceful life and more purposeful life, then I was only going to get that through being obedient with God. And that was the whole part of his will is my will that I mm. had to, to surrender my goals and to, you know, for his goals. And when I, when I took my boys and we went up to pretty place, that's one of the things that we were seeking, you know, was, it was a time where it actually was, it began before the Cardinals offered me a job. It was when MLB contacted me um, because I was getting ready to go to the world games with the, with um, the British national team in Japan. And I told him that, you know, I wanted to pray about this. And, and when I got back that I would let them know, but we went on this retreat and it, I had this other opportunity to go coach collegiately as well. So it was, it was, and I did, I did do that, but the Lord had already confirmed to me too, that he was going to take me the road to baseball and his will was just, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And, and again, it's that whole op operating in love, right? We're operating in love and he's ultimately love, right? God is love. That's the other thing. God is love. Yeah. So if I'm going to operate his will and I'm going to operate in love, then I have to be willing to lay down the things that I'm pursuing and pursue what he, what he has in store for me. So that's what that retreat was confirming. And that's what the whole transition out of the, the game of softball into the realm of MLB was, was about. Laying down your will and uh, being obedient to his. Speaking of discerning what his will is or isn't, let's talk about the pandemic briefly here. No likes delays on their way to seeing a dream fulfilled. How did you handle the challenge of the pandemic interrupting your debut as a Cardinals coach last year? Oh man, you know, honestly, it's been tough, but it hasn't been tough for the reasons for myself. You know, it's been tough because this year I've lost three colleagues mm. from COVID. Mm. Um, my, my mentor with you know, the whole, the whole, you know, like weather delay kind of thing, you know, um, coming home and that wait time of wait, I was, I've been good with that, but I lost my mentor. Um, um, another girl that I met, she was Kelly Rodman. She was the, the, um, scout for the women's scout for the New York Yankees. She passed away of cancer 
And then Charles Peterson, my mentor, he passed. And actually um, a colleague who was team team um, Italy um, head coach, he just passed of COVID as well. So I think it's been the loss that's been the heaviest because of just, I see people's pain and their hurt, you know, and it's yeah. just, again, you're just, you find yourself in this position of just lifting so many people up in prayer. As far as the, you know, the good that's coming out of the pandemic and, you know, through some of the loss and the tragedy is that, you know, I, I, I see that there are people have gotten still people have had time to, to seek out something more and growth. So I I've, me personally, I started a, a women's group that I meet with here. Um, we called the Blue Cords, and we meet and we we were all about we were all women who have been tested in our faith, and it was about you know we're we're in the beginning stages of it, but just putting together this little group where three you know two or three or more are gathered, and yeah. we're going to just we're building on something that God's got purpose for. But it was all the fact that we, we're all women that have been tested in our faith. And um, we wanted to dig really deep into the spiritual warfare of, of um, things. So, because we knew that, you know, during this time, this pandemic, that that's, there was going to be a lot of spiritual warfare. So we wanted to, to see where, what we could do in, in that whole iron sharpen iron effect, you know, what we mm. can do. Um, I personally have also sought some educational things, you know, just to, you know, improve on that side, whether it's getting certified through Rap Soto, um, getting personal, I'm in the mix of getting my personal, you know, training certification, those kinds of things. All right. but I, I personally got a chance to spend some time with my children that I, you know, normally I might not have. They're, they're, I'm going to be an empty nester this year. They both graduate here in the next few months. And, um, so personally, I see that as, a opportunity too that God gave me, you know, that, you know, was, you know, a, a pulling a good out of a very tragic situation. Mm. Our condolences to you at these multiple losses you've, you've endured over this past year. That's got to be, that's got to be difficult. You continue to, again, as I said, during the introduction, you are an overcomer and <laughs> uh, that is, that is truly remarkable. What difference, Tina, for you, does Christ make in the day-to-day of family? You just talked about the hidden blessing, if you will, of being able to spend more time with your boys over this past year than you otherwise would have. In other words, how does your Christian faith inform your role as a mom on a day-to-day basis? Talk to us about that. Oh my goodness. I have two boys. Remember this. I'm, so, I'm always tested, always being tested. Um, you know, my boys, we talked about their baptism, this, this over pandemic, and the, which is another thing good that came out of this. Both my boys were baptized and, you know, I, I look at, I look at them and I, I, I see just these very young souls and just how they've made that first step. And I, I've got to remember always as a mother too to give grace because of their their that they're young and how much they have to face, you know. And so I, I'm always constantly trying to give grace and my patience sometimes wears thin. I'll be honest with you, you know. Sometimes I have my my field voice on more than I do my my indoor voice. But um, <laughs> but the great Your thing is my, my boys and I, yeah. The great thing is my boys and I, we have an amazing understanding and we never, we never leave the house or hang up the phone without saying, I love you. 
and it's yeah. genuine. And, and my mm-hmm. youngest son is great. Cause he always greets me with a kiss, a hug and a kiss. And, you know, I, I'm really grateful for that. I look at them and I'm like, you know, I've certainly had that question of have I prepared them to go out into the world? And I reflect mm-hmm. on this fact that they both made the commitment to Christ and then they went and got baptized. They followed up with baptism this, this summer. So uh, I'm pleased. I'm like, that is the start. That is the seed that's planted. And I, I can't be more thankful than that, you know. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Congratulations. That's got to be very satisfying as a mom to witness such pivotal life moments, spiritual life moments for your boys. Yeah. For I this mean, next, I, they, okay, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying, we've, we've got a, We've got a lot of growth ahead of us. You know, I think you know they're just. I look at what what they have to face every day, and I and I'm like, I don't know if I could have done it. You know, if I was mm. facing some of those same things today. So, but you know, I'm really proud of them that you know, they're, they're new in their faith and, you know, I look forward to seeing them grow. Well, let me from Canada, wish, wish your boys multiple blessings and greetings from, from the great white (laughs) North for this next one, Tina, it might be, it might be something you already knew that's been reinforced or perhaps a new revelation altogether in the past year. What's the most profound truth about the Lord that you've learned? That's a good question. You know, I, I think that uh, the word omnipresent, right? Mm. Meaning he is everywhere. Mm. I, I will have to say that he's omnipresent because I have, you know, just been out and about and I've just seen him. I've just seen him. I've had, I've seen the, his hand in him working in all these different areas so I'm going to say that one truth of these is omnipresent. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's tough to identify and be able to point that out if your mind's going at a million miles an hour. And that, that brings us back to that stillness and reflection piece as well, helping to facilitate being able to see him in those different scenarios. You might not have noticed him before. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Tina, for that insight. He's omnipresent god is omnipresent let that be an encouragement to all of our listeners out there final question final question what are you involved in now you've talked about blue cords Uh, you can talk a little bit more about that or something else what are you involved in right now that you would like our listeners to be aware of something that they can a website they can check or can they follow you on social media share with us your social media handles be happy to put those out there um, I ha- I don't have a website. I'm working on that. That's one right. thing that <laughs> for some reason there's been a roadblock with that, but I think there was meant to be, I started on a, a path and then stopped and, but it'll come about. I know God has plans for that right now. I have an Instagram. It's just Tina Plue Whitlock. That's, you know, kind of my, my ball one. My personal one is just Tina, Tina Whitlock. Um, Instagram seems to be the one I, I do the most Twitter, you know, it's at, at Plulock. That was an old one before I really got into doing a yep. lot of ball stuff. Um, but I did that just to have, you know, some correspondence, you know, in the baseball world. Cause they like the, they like the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but I, I have like just a small ministry here locally that, you know, with some girls called, um, 
birds of blessing and it's mm-hmm. high school high school college age softball girls um and it's just a daily devotional or daily encouragement prayer um we send music so forth and it's probably about 30 girls and it's one of those things that i know i started a few years ago when god told me that i needed to share his word and i wanted to wake up every morning and and share his word with with, with people. And I, it just kind of, it's just kind of grown. Um, and it's just a text message group. Um, but I love it because, you know, we, we interact and we've, we've done macaroni and cheese drives for the, 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 the food pantry. We're currently, we collected, um, equipment for team Ghana. We're going to be sending some, some equipment to Ghana. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's all that, that, that one, I'm looking forward to having that one packaged up and shipped here, you know, within the month or so. Um, locally, I'm just, I'm just working with giving private lessons right now, contract, you know, contracting out for camps and clinics and speaking engagements. And then I'm, I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing right now. So it's one of those things that, you know, if I can ask for anything, it's just continued prayer, you know, that, you know, God opens a door and, and that I continue to trust that he's prepared me to do his work. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to look up Tina Whitlock on social media, Twitter or Instagram. If you want to reach out to her about any coaching lessons, that's for sure. That's for sure. She is more than qualified to be able to put you, point you in the right direction, especially if you happen to live in the South Carolina area. And as far as birds of blessing is concerned, that's not just a little thing you've got going on. Jesus started with a handful of followers. You've got 30 (laughs) girls. Let me tell you something that's got the potential, Tina, to change the world. And I would like to say I'm going to pray for that initiative. And I would ask the people who are listening, who believe in the power of intercessory prayer to pray for you as well. Tina Whitlock, this has been such a gift. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I enjoyed it, Herbie. Folks, you've been listening to the Total Athlete Podcast, presented by Athletes in Action. For more information on how you can learn about developing the total athlete in Canada, visit athletesinaction.ca. And in the United States, visit athletesinaction.org.